This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I'm Kylie Camps and welcome to the podcast. This space is dedicated entirely to making a difference in the lives of women. I believe we all have a right and a responsibility to truly live our best lives. It all begins with curiosity, changing our thinking and cultivating more self-love. Through thoughtful conversations and shared experiences, I really hope that you can take something away from this podcast. I'm a business owner, a speaker, a sleep consultant, and mum of twin boys. I've also recently completed some training in the cognitive behavioral therapy space, and I'm super, super passionate about the ability that we all have to really improve our days. And ultimately, when we take ownership of improving our days, we're really improving our whole life. So let's get stuck into today's episode. Today's podcast is a conversation about birth order and how that impacts our personality and the way that we show up in the world. I find this topic really, really interesting. When I was growing up, there was definitely a lot of stereotypes surrounding birth order from being a spoilt baby, the spoilt youngest who gets it all, um, to being a middle child who has middle child syndrome, or to being the responsible eldest. I don't know if those stereotypes are as prevalent these days, but we get into it. So Michael and I chat about a lot of different things and I found it really, really fascinating. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Before we get stuck into it, I wanted to take a minute to let you know today's episode is brought to you by Skin and their brand new matte natural lip plumper. So Skin is spelled S-Q-I-N and A little while ago, I want to say maybe like a year and a half ago, I started using their original skin lip plumper and I have shared this before on social media and every time I share that product, I am then inundated with women saying, oh my gosh, I ordered it. I love it. It's incredible. It's the first lip plumper product where I can actually see a difference and I really, really like the original but they've now released a matte version of this. So the original was quite glossy and shiny and it's more of a sticky texture, whereas the matte is exactly that. It's more of a flat balm type texture. So it really depends on the type of finish you like best on your lips. Um, But I'll tell you a little bit about it. So the original Lip Plumper, It is a really subtle lip enhancement. So if you have perhaps toyed with the idea of having your lips filled or you just, I don't know, want to feel a little bit fuller for a night out or 
whatever um this is a nice way to kind of dip your toes in and see if you like that look because it is effective you will see a difference in my opinion around your cupid's bow in particular which is the top part of your lip where you get that little v so it's a natural plumper it does have capsicum in it to enhance that cupid's bow and add extra volume to the lips it also includes vitamin a to increase cell turnover vitamin c which is a powerful antioxidant antioxidant to protect from sun damage vitamin b to protect and nourish while reducing the appearance of fine lines and vitamin e to keep the lips super hydrated so you can use this product completely on its own or you can apply it let it settle and then put a lip color on as well so when you do use these products there is definitely a tingle and that's kind of how you know it's working it shouldn't be agony it shouldn't be painful but you will feel a tingle because it's increasing blood flow to your lips thus making them appear more plump so there is the original one which i mentioned which is online now but there is also the matte lip plumper so that one is online too i'm going to put a link in the show notes but if you just google skin by hc you'll find it so that's s-q-i-n but there is a link in the show notes which will take you to the matte lip plumper. There is also the original one or you can get a two-pack as well, which you might want to consider grabbing the two-pack because they do sell out really, really fast. So I do have a discount code for you and that discount code will give you 20% off their range and that code is LOVEKYLIE, all in capitals, and it is active right now. So if you have been looking for a quality lip plumper that will actually give you a visible difference, jump on this offer because 20% off is a great deal. It is already quite reasonably priced in comparison to other lip plumpers. In fact, I'm going to say it's a great price um, because it is. So jump over, check it out. You've got the matte one, the original one or the two pack and that discount code LOVEKYLIE is active right now for 20% off which is a huge discount. So that said, let's get stuck into my episode with Michael. Michael Gross is one of Australia's leading parenting writers and speakers. He's written no less than 12 books for parents, including one called Anxious Kids, which he co-authored with Dr. Jodie Richardson, who has been on the podcast before when we spoke about her book, Anxious Mums. Michael is a recognized media figure, former teacher and author. He's been a regular on TV, radio, print and of course digital media. His books have been devoured by parents for over three decades as he strives to make specialized knowledge common knowledge. Michael is an award-winning speaker and was elevated to the Professional Speakers Hall of Fame in 2013 where he won the Educator of Excellence Award. He continues to inspire, inform, and entertain audiences around the world. Michael is really passionate about spreading the word on the profound impact that birth order effect has on families, school, workplaces, and community. In our conversation today, you'll hear Michael explain what birth order theory is and a few, I guess, hallmark personality traits of some older children, middle children, youngest children. We talk about how 
the middle child is kind of starting to cease to exist. We speak about conflict amongst siblings. I hope that you enjoy this conversation. As always, if you do, it would mean the world to me if you take a screenshot, pop it up on your Instagram stories and tag me. And I'm also going to give away a copy of Michael's book, um, which we talk about in this episode as well. So head on over to Instagram, share this episode on your stories, tag me, and you could go in the drawer to win Michael's book. And I will post that one out to you. All right, guys, let's get into it. Michael, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to have a chat with me about birth order theory. Not a problem. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. So I think many people do have a belief surrounding, you know, how the order that we are born into our family impacts us. I know growing up as a middle child, it was really common for me to be, you know, referred to as the troubled middle child or experiencing middle child syndrome. So many of us have an idea of what it means, but your book goes so much deeper into the family dynamics and everything that is involved in birth order theory. So for our listeners, can you unpack what that term means? Yeah, I use the term family constellation. So I'll I'll say what I mean by that, but let's go with birth order because we all know what birth order is. But um, it's not just a neat set of numbers. So um, once you understand how what the variables are, then it all sort of makes sense. So I first put my book out, My Firstborns Rule the World, in 2003. And one of the questions which came up a lot was, you know, really interesting, but it doesn't apply to my child or it doesn't apply to my family. Um, you know, why is it so? Um, so I put the book out again in 2021 and changed the title slightly. So it was called Why Firstborns Rule the World and Lastborns Want to Change It. And I called it Why Firstborns Rule the World and Laterborns Want to Change It. So change it slightly. But so try, try to answer some of those questions um, about why it doesn't always impact. So it's more about how kids function or how we function and rather than just a neat set of numbers. So I do, you know, back to what I was saying, I do like to talk about the notion of it's a family constellation. So just like you've got a constellation of stars and every star constellation has its own pattern. So every family has its own unique pattern as well. And so once you understand sort of the the dynamics, then birth order starts to make sense. Um, So there is a little bit of scepticism in some ways about it. It's like, oh, we're trying to explain everything through birth order. Uh, No, it's not that it's it's not the you know birth order is not the total um explanation of who we are um you know there are other factors but it's something we intuitively know a lot about um and that's because families are so similar so you know in, in some ways firstborns are more similar in two different families than they are to maybe their brother or sister within the same family so we certainly do share characteristics and we know a fair bit about um, birth order intuitively, but um, only to a surface level. So hopefully this conversation will help us unpack a little bit more and give listeners a little bit more of an idea of how birth order can apply to their own family and also their own family of origin as well. Yeah, it's so interesting. And reading through your book, I definitely found myself nodding along and 
I understand what you mean in your book, you speak about the fact that when you have spoken about this topic, some people will be really skeptical and go, no, it doesn't apply to me while others are nodding along super enthusiastically. And you do break that down in your book and talk about the different dynamics such as, you know, the gap, I guess, between children or whether or not there are stepchildren involved. Yeah, that's right. There's a lot of, you know, there's, there's probably two things to, to, we might sort of take this conversation two different ways. There's there's the variables, so understanding the variables, and also just understanding how birth order impacts. So I might just take the first one, uh, sorry, the second one, and look at the, the, there's three aspects which makes up a, a human being, so to speak. There's, there's genetics. We're all born with a temperament. And that temperament is different than personality. Um, the temperament is sort of that inborn aspect of us, which is quite evident in young children, which doesn't really change over time. So um, one, uh, one of the temperament aspects is sociability. So it's not whether you're sociable or not, it's whether you're slow to warm up or quick to warm up. So I look at my family, I've got three kids and two girls, now they're adults now, but I have one who's very much a slow to warm up when she was a young young kid, we, I would take her to kinder and she'd stick by my leg and just sort of have a look around and she'll see a friend and then she'd slowly go over and make her way over to a friend. Um, my other child was, a, you know, was, a, was at the other end of the temperament spectrum when we look at sociability. She was a, you know, really quick to warm up. You know, I could just, you know, hardly even get out of the car and I just pulled up the car to go to kinder and she's out of the car. <laughs> hit the ground and, rolling. Yeah, hit the ground rolling and mixing. Now, as, a, as adults and both in their 30s, um, the slow to warm up still a slow to warm up and the other one still, you know, hasn't changed that much yet they're very sociable but in their own different ways so that aspect of of temperament or genetics um, we're born with that imprint so that doesn't change that much then we throw around that what I call the family frame and the family frame is basically it's your parenting if you want to understand what your your parenting sort of what the impact of it is start to stand back and, and look at what do you have kids have in common and it's easier to see that as kids move into um, adolescence it's not as easy when you've got very young kids because it just you can't tell as much but mm-hmm. you know, if all your kids are fairly independent maybe all your kids are very you know I look at my own three kids I'll go back to that um, as adults but even as, as, as teenagers, they were independent, they were very sociable and they had a high work ethic. And that's something that came through just from our parenting, my wife and I's parenting. And usually, it's, you know, it's the values. It's the thing you nag your kids about. It's, it's those sort of aspects which you, which you really think are important. You know, my kids, you know, I really think that loyalty is important for my kids. So I'm going to sort of hammer that home or I'm going to think that, you know, you, you've, you've got to have good manners, you guys, and you're going to hammer that home. So... Um, you know, that's something that kids have in common, but that shows your parenting. Also, your parenting style, whether you're a bit more of a lazy, you know, a bit more laid back or a bit more controlling, that impacts as well. And the other part of the family frame is your, your family atmosphere. Is it a tense place where your kids grow up or is it a bit more laid back? And that's not just about parents. Sometimes it's where you live. You know, the aspect you live in a more relaxed place, then you t- you know, it tends to be a little bit more uh, atmosphere is a friendly and more relaxed atmosphere within your family. So there's two aspects which, which are important, which are, are shapers of, of kids. But birth order is fits in the middle somewhere, and that explains the differences. That's why you may have two children at the same gene pool, 
um, two years apart, same gender, been to the same school, same parenting, yet fundamentally different, you know, why is it so? Mm. And that's the birth order aspect. And that's where um, birth order very much explains the differences. And it works on, on two levels. Firstly, it works that, well, we really don't parent kids the same. Um, when we're parents, we have hopes and dreams for our kids and we also have um, different experiences. So when the first one comes into the world, we've got a lot of aspirations and it's sort of our aspirations. A lot of on. ideals. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> we've got fixed ideas about how this kid's going to be. Um, and so it sort of goes on the firstborn shoulders. And also firstborns are experiments. When they bring home, a, when we bring home that firstborn, we bring home an experiment which takes us into new ground. Um, and so firstborn sort of quite naturally has a little bit more uh, their expectations. There's more pressure on them. Um, we often, but not always, we often give them more responsibility as well. Um, and so they're treated in some ways differently um, and then we, if we have a second one, the second one comes into the world, well, what, what we bring home is a competitor for attention uh, with, the, with the firstborn. And so um, second ones tend to be what the firstborn isn't. So if the first one's very responsible and a good kid, there's a reasonable chance the second one might be a pest. At least they'll know mum and dad will know I'm around. Or even as they get older, if the firstborn's an academic star, the second one may do well enough at school to do keep mum and dad off my back, but I'll shine in another area. So, yes, I found that really, really interesting mm -hmm. when I read in your book about that that kind of rule of thumb where secondborns are often different in personality, interests and achievements. And mm -hmm. that hit me because I have identical twins and they're turning <laughs> right. eight at the end of the year. And my gosh, they are so different and they're only a minute apart but mm. I wonder if it is that natural predisposition and obviously as you've explained it's a mixture but that natural predisposition to be different or if it is by design to create that different unique kind of this is my point of difference so I'm going to be worlds apart from my brother type of thing it is look kids are niche marketers they're looking for their niche they're looking for their little little special spot and it's there's a theory which i um i um go by which is basically it's the darwinian theory theory of survival that the species survive when resources are low by going for their strengths or their differences so the resources in a family um are, which are, are scarce uh, parental attention. Um, mm. Kids love parental Time attention. And attention. Time and attention. So kids are going to go go for their differences to get that attention. Um, so if the first one, you know, gets it by being rowdy, the second one might get it by being being a little bit quieter and being more reflective. Um, there's also that there's that aspect of how do I get mum and dad's you know attention or how do I stand out in this group. And that's, there's the other aspect of quite simply how groups operate. You put any two, three people in a group and people will take up roles. That's the nature of groups. So the first group that kids belong to is their family. So you're not going to get two, you know, if one kid takes one particular position, a kid will take, or a child will go into another position. And that's in a way is the nature of groups. And it just sort of works out in families and twins are different because they're both um, have a similar age, obviously, but in families, you know, 
the one who comes in first has a maturity gap between himself or herself and those that follow. So he almost has a choice in some ways. He goes, well, I'm the responsible. I'm, I'm the bigger one. I can do this better than you. And I'll keep reminding you, second born, you know, at every particular opportunity that I can do this better than you. Um, and so they build a competency gap between them and the ones that, that follow. Uh, and so it's it's more, you know, as much as parents, parents often say, what do I do about it? Um, as much as we possibly we want to change things. Often it's just the way the groups operate and the way that the kids will work things out themselves. And it just kind of is a case of it is what it is. And I know myself as a middle child, one of the things I've always kind of thought to myself growing up is I kind of got to fly under the radar a little bit because I wasn't the first to do anything and I wasn't the last. So I kind of lent into that kind of, I guess, um, yeah, ability to be a bit more low-key at times. So I guess what I'm saying is regardless of your birth order, you'll find your position and it just is what it is. That's exactly right. There's, that's that's right. We It's not parents, about combating it. Yeah, that, that's right. Um, look, it's funny. Um, I think we underestimate the impact that, that children have on each other. Um, you know, the when we talk about parenting, we all, as parents, we want to do the very best possible um, by our kids. And in some ways, that's the that's modern parenting, and that's small, that's parenting small families. If you were parenting kids a hundred years ago, and you had a family of eight, you saw your job as you know they're alive, aren't they? I've, you know, it's half the jobs. I've just got to you know make sure that they they thrive and survive. And we don't worry about the minutiae of their lives too much. Um, but as we've moved into smaller, fa- and what actually happens in larger families, this is how birth order in larger families often impacts is, is the simple fact that you as a parent will do a lot of delegating. You don't know half the time what kids are doing. So, you know, now we know what each of our kids have had for breakfast. If you had a large family, you're not even sure what they had for breakfast, but gee, they turned up for brekkie, so you know, life's good, so to speak. And you also get other siblings who are who are quasi-parents. You get older siblings who are looking after younger siblings as well. So it's interesting when you look at the, the, the size in some ways, um, we as parents tend to stand back and not be so involved in many ways. And so what used to happen was that siblings were very important in the, in the upbringing of, of each other, um, more important than parents. So we sort of put ourselves forward a little bit. And I sometimes say as parents, you know, even if you've got, I've got three kids and, and I think that, you know, a lot of my kids have got something to do with the way they were parented, but a lot of them also has have a fair bit to do with the way they interacted with each other as well. So we sometimes, we just got to stand back a little bit. We want to control everything, but sometimes you just can't do that. Um, you've got to sit back and, um, and watch and make sure that one's not taking advantage of another, those sorts of things. But <laughs> yeah, the kids can, kids have a really strong influence on, on each other. And um, I always say that you practice on your siblings. And so that, that their siblings will practice on each other and take some of those negotiating skills um, out to school and out, to, out into the broader world as well. And that's what I was just about to draw on it, saying, I guess, when you become aware of the impact of that sibling relationship and practising on your sibling, that is what we take into the world and into the workplace and likely off into romantic relationships as well. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, And that romantic relationships is about often that 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Um, again, there's not got to be careful here. There's, there's not a lot of research around that. And what we've tried to do with this book is to is is to use as much as research as possible. Um, but if you look at the notion of opposites attract, and this is more anecdotal, and there's a, there are some thin research around around this, but often opposites will attract. And I know in my own position, I'm the youngest in a family. Um, and I had two older sisters who, you know, I had three mothers in some ways. Um, and I ended up with someone who was very much the, she was the only girl in a family of five, um, five boys, one boy passed away. So she did a lot of hands-on mothering. So, gee, there's someone who's almost, you know, but the firstborn there has, has gotten someone who's a youngest born who just loves being looked after by someone else. So um, it worked out quite well. Uh, 40 years Make later, it that what you will. Well. <laughs> exactly. So it is that notion of opposite, opposites attract and sometimes we feel, feel very comfortable in, in, with someone else and the birth order will have an impact on that as well. And I'd love to just go through the birth order a little bit sure. with you, a little bit more. So starting with firstborns, and obviously, as you mentioned, your book is called Why Firstborns Rule the World and Laterborns Want to Change It. So straight away, we're kind of opening this book with an understanding that firstborns are leaders. Yeah, and that's based on the, the research of Frank Soloway, who put a book out called, in the 1990s, called Born to Rebel. And he looked at Started off looking at looking at American presidents, and he looked at other world leaders, and he found there was a high correlation between firstborns and American presidents and other world leaders. So um, significant in the American context because in the early days there were you know some of those presidents came out of families of you know 12, 13, 14, massive families, yet they were still firstborns. So. Yeah, the, the notion of firstborns as, as as leaders doesn't mean just because you're firstborn you you'll you know be a leader, and neither does it mean just because um, if you're a leader doesn't necessarily mean you be a firstborn. But I think actually you'll take a leadership position if you are a leader according to your birth order uh, personality. So we see um, Scott Morrison at the moment as our current. Prime Minister, he's not a firstborn, he's a secondborn. Very much a people person, a um, bit, bit of a marketer, as we often <laughs> put forward, but very much that more goes down that charismatic line, as is uh, Jacinta Ardern as well, who she's a secondborn. So she leads almost like her birth order uh, suggests. So firstborns is, you know, what are they like? Firstborns tend to be the family conservative, so we know that. By family conservative, I mean if you're an academic family, fair chance your firstborn will be an academic, will go down that path. Um, they are often given responsibilities, so responsibility, they're often the more responsible ones. They're also, too, and I find this fascinating, and I look at but, um, my three children all have children and all their firstborns, each of them, um, are rule keepers. They love rules. They 
then they just don't want to break a rule. So Upholders. <laughs> they are, they are, uh, and they stick to those rules. So they're rule keepers. Um, they tend to be more conscientious as well, and research tells us that, that, that um, firstborns share con- in, are more likely to be introverted and more likely to be conscientious. So responsibility, conscientiousness, rule keepers, um, sometimes bossy, often achievement-oriented as well, and that's a little bit about the whole notion of parents have high expectations for firstborns, so, um, you know, they tend to be more achievement-oriented. Uh, they also show up high on, your, on, on neuroticism as well. They're more likely to be a little bit more anxious as well. Um, so there's a few things around, around firstborns. I always, always think that they enjoy almost a regal status, and firstborns has its positions, has its privileges as well, uh, but also comes with pressure. Um, also, and so we move down to the to the next position, which is which is only so only children um, are now. I call them super firstborns. They're now part of the mainstream because many parents are stopping at one, um, or many parents who couldn't have kids before now can have a child. So we're starting, you know, to see um, if only children are a political party. They're now part of the mainstream. They get a lot of negative press only, and that's largely because of the historical factors. And one of them is that, you know, if we go back 100 years or, or so, families were large by, by, um, by design in many ways. Um, but if you had an only child, it was usually because of some negative aspect of family breakdown or I could only have one. So there is a negativity a- about that um, now. But now more and more people are choosing to have one. Uh, what do we know about them? They're, they're the quiet achievers. They tend to be extremists. They'll often, they'll often as kids go between um, a child and an adult, they'll swing between the two. Um, they often are very comfortable in their own skin because they spend a lot of time on their own, which is a terrific thing for them to have. They're quite confident, particularly girls, because they're very verbal. Uh, and sometimes kids who are only children can struggle with conflict because they haven't had to deal with it with their own family. However, that's, that training and having their hair pulled and that's right. bossed around. That's, that's right. I mean, as, as a story there, we had, um, we had an only child who came and stayed with us many years ago. He was about 16-year-old. He was from France. Um, he was on exchange. And my daughters at the time were 17 and 15. They, used to, you know, they loved each other fiercely, but they fought fiercely as well. And, um, you know, a number of times I was, you know, fought like cat and dog. And uh, Jean-Pierre just didn't feel comfortable. He came up to me after about four weeks and just, you know, tapped me on the shoulder and said in his beautiful French accent, Mike, I can't take on a French accent, but he said, Michael, <laughs> <Go> Michael. <on. laughs> no, I can't. Michael, Michael, they just keep fighting with each other. What do I do? And I just turned around to him and said, mate, just duck your head and don't get caught in the conflict. Um, that's what I do. You know, he just didn't, <laughs> he just didn't feel comfortable with it. Um, and I can imagine it would be really distressing. And yeah. as I said, I'm a middle child and I'm one of three girls. So when you said fighting like cats and dogs, I was like, yeah, I can remember that. And that would be really confronting to someone is, who is an is. only child. Yeah, and doesn't get it. And that, some of it was fierce. I mean, the you can sit back and think of some of the barbs that they threw each other then they were very personal and they were very hurtful and if you grew up in a family because i say this in a loving way but kids really do practice on their siblings and they say the things to their siblings they wouldn't say elsewhere um and you know they 
and to, to, to other people. Um, and one of the reasons is they know that their, their sibling won't take their love away. Uh, you know, you, have to, you get away with murder in your own family. Um, I mean that in the nicest possible way. Um, I actually do mean that in the nicest possible way. You can say and do things sometimes, um, you know, because the boundaries are broader in your own families. But when you go out and mix with other kids, the, 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 the boundaries aren't as broad. You don't get away with it. So one of the things I had to do with my girls is just because part of our job as parents is to socialise our kids. So I just had to say to them, girls, you know, this is really upsetting him. And so, you know, tone it down or go outside and and fight outside, not not around him. But I guess sometimes I, only kids do um, do miss out on that. But I think it's starting to change a bit now as kids go into childcare as well, so that they do mix with um, other kids and have to share their own time and space, um, mm. which is a requirement uh, for social living. Then you, then you go through and look at the second child. Um, and this has changed. This has changed since I put the book out. When I first put my book out, in 2003, seconds and middles were together um, because uh, the mean number of kids and families back then was three. So, um, and so seconds and middles had sh shared similar characteristics, which are, um, despite all the fact that there's a negativity around the, the, the middle child syndromes, middle kids and seconds and middles tend to be very flexible. They do well on the resilience research. Um, and one of the reasons why they're flexible is their life is always fits into the, the life path of the first. And they're picked up to waking up to go and pick them up from childcare or school or whatever it is. They've got to sort of always follow along. Um, so they tend to be a little bit more diplomatic because they have to be. Um, they're also victims of bad timing. They go, oh, well, wasn't I first? They tend to be justice seekers. Um, they also are more likely to leave the family first. So if... You know, you've got three kids. I'd put money on the fact that the second one, if they're close in age, will leave the family first um, and, and flee the nest. Not always, but um, they often will. They're often the peacekeepers, and they, the research also shows they often have more friends, wider friendship circles than firstborns. Um, so, yeah, a good position to be in. Unfortunately, there's, because of family shrinkage, there's less and less or fewer and fewer middle children. Uh, there's only at the moment, with kids under the age of 15 in Australian schools, there's only um, around about between 14 and 16% of children um, have a child on either side of them in schools. So if you think that, you know, you learn a lot within your family and you practice on your siblings and you go to school with, a, with you know, middles often have that opportunity. And I heard you say earlier that you sat, sat and watched. Well, that's what younger and later borns will do. And you'll probably learn to duck the elbows of the sibling above you and you've learned to elbow the one below you. So you get a pretty broad set of skills. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, yep, of course, that's what middles go. Yep, that's me. Um, <laughs> but that's, that's Sandra in good step later on. That, that really does. So, unfortunately, we're getting less and fewer and fewer middles um, as well. So um, and I think that's for society we'll, we'll – we'll, um, We'll miss something there. And then if you go down to the youngest, now with my book, which I just put out, I, the later borns, seconds and youngest are fairly similar because many families are, are finishing it too. So the second is the youngest one. But typically youngest ones are the cruisers of the family. They're born into a position which... They should write a letter to their elder sibling thanking them for breaking their parents in for them because that's what they do. Um, found parents a little bit more relaxed with them. 
Um, they will often do everything before the other siblings. Or, you know, the you know, mum might have said, look, no child of mine is ever going to catch a train to the city until they're 15. Well, the youngest one does it when they're about 11. Um, <laughs> yeah. so, so we, the, the rules are a little bit different. Um, also, youngest ones are born into a position where they realise they can't outsmart and they can't outrun their older sibling, but they can certainly outlast them. So they use charm, a um, little bit more of a challenges as well. So youngest kids tend to think the rules aren't for them. Um, you know, the rules are for someone else. The rules are the first one, they're not for me. And so they're often... Uh, will do as well as the rest of the family, but they'll you know be successful in life, but they'll often do it in a way which is completely different than the family way. So if we said earlier the fa the firstborn's family conservative, well, and and will be an academic if mum and dad are more academics, there's a reasonable chance the firstborn might be successful, it might be a tradie or might go down a creative path or a different path. Um, so um, and so they are, have a, a different sort of personality as well. Um, and then I guess I'll put in a, if I said the second was youngest, I called it the Prince Harry effect. And so a, a new birth order position, which is second and as youngest, which was, I'd identified a number of years ago because our families now have shrunk. The mean number of, of children in a family now in Australia was two. So I saw this about a number of years ago. If you've got two children um, of the same gender, there's a reasonable chance the second one will be like a youngest. So, and I, I thank goodness Prince Harry um, left the, young, the royal family about 18 months ago because I thought, well, I'm going to name it after Prince Harry because, you know, he's almost... Really poster, proving your point. <laughs> poster child, that's right. Yeah, so just I'll finish up on, on that one. If you look at just very quickly, William was born to rule. Prince William was born to rule. Family conservative, you know, he played the whole royal game really well, hardly broken any rules, hasn't let himself go. He married into the, you know, a person who plays by the rules as well. So very much family conservative and he's the rule rule follower. And then you've got Harry who came second. Well, well if, if William was the heir, Harry's the spare. And every time William has another child, he moves further away from the family, uh, from the throne. So if, if rules are for William to follow, well, they certainly don't apply to, to um, Harry. So he's broken all the rules. He's even you know, left the royal family, so to speak, moved over there to the UK, uh, United States, and he's trying to find his place as well. So, uh, again, he's not the family conservative. He's almost the opposite. So the status quo doesn't apply to him, which is very similar to a lot of the second-borns and, and youngest. So completely different. Uh, they look different as well, and genetically they're probably different, but certainly um, because of their position. And I think, you know, they're very different. But we might say, isn't the royal family very different? Yes, but it's just a normal family on steroids. Yeah, you know, heightened. They're, they're more heightened. We're more aware of it as well. So they're the, they're the positions. Um, and, and what about I, multiples? I can't let you go yeah. without asking. No, you, you can't let me go about <laughs> with multiples. Well, multiples actually work out. Usually, usually twins, uh, competitors and companions. So it doesn't matter who came out of the womb. Um, one will will you one will take a first-born position, another one will take a second-born position. Now, sometimes they swap around. That's one of the differences. So sometimes one will be more, I don't know, the bossy one, 
outside playing games, whereas another one might be the leader more at school. Um, so, and it's often how we treat kids as well. So you may find yourself giving more responsibility to one than the other because, you know, they're a little bit more trustworthy, for example. So it's not just the number. It's often often how parents will, will, um, will treat their kids and how they see their kids as well. But certainly... Um, multiple births it doesn't matter who came out of the womb first you know even if it's by a minute or so it doesn't work out that way but they will work themselves into a first or second and i always use the war twins mark and steve war is the poster kids to explain twins so for those who aren't aware mark and steve war were australian cricketers in the 1990s um both played cricket, so that shows it's a you know a common family interest. But they played the game completely differently. Mark played, or Steve, um, he was the captain of Australia. He more like a firstborn, very typical firstborn. He is driven. He did away with all the flair out of his game so he could achieve, and he retired with an average of fifty. His younger brother, Mark, even though he's a twin, he was called Junior. So you 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 know you're not. Got no doubt, left in no doubt who the younger one is there. He had more talent, apparently, but he, he played the game with a more layback, enjoyable style, and he retired with an average of 10 less than his elder brother. So, again, very similar, uh, you know, twins, but in very much saw life and do life in fundamentally different ways. It's also interesting, and I find that part that you mentioned, particularly about the expectation and how parents engage with their children, because as you were saying that, I was thinking it's so true. Like when my boys were born, straight away we assigned, oh, because one was born a minute earlier, and he just, I don't know, it st sounds strange to say now because they were newborns, but he had this kind of older brother wise <laughs> energy. Yeah. And so we've always treated him probably with a bit more responsibility and he really lives up to that. So it's very fascinating. Yeah. And I, I think there's a, yeah, that's nice to, good to hear that, that story. And I, I hear that a lot. And I think what we underestimate, this might sound a bit freaky, a bit weird, but there's a lot of bio, biology at stake here. And I think that we are biologically um, tuned to give responsibility to one over another. I think that's part of our, our cycle. We don't know it, you, but we just can't, we just don't turn over, you know, thousands of years of biology in, you know, 100 years or so. And I think that we are something in us which we've got our antenna, antenna set to um, make sure that one of our kids will survive. Um, and, and this is where birth order, go, we go right back in time. It's about giving the resources to make sure that at least one of the children will survive and go on and carry on our name, et cetera, et cetera. And that's where primogeniture, you know, come, comes in. Um, you had a family of eight, you're going to make sure that, you know, one of them, the eldest one, we're going to look after the eldest one, make sure that, you know, they get the farm, the family farm or whatever that might be. And so we're primed in some ways to give our resources to, you know, the, the strong ones, so to speak. Um, and I know so that's, interesting. Uh, that, that goes against the grain for us as rational human beings because most of us as parents will actually say, you know, we love our, we do love our kids evenly, but I think there is something in us which, which I can't explain, which makes us treat our kids a little bit differently as well. So, yeah. Well, of course, there are so many different parts of evolution that are just mm. 
in us and there's that desire and that drive and I think it makes perfect sense but yes as you said it will probably go against the grain for some people but it makes total sense to me and I just I find it all so interesting I have really enjoyed speaking with you today and I really enjoyed your book where can our listeners connect with you or find out more about who you are and what you do okay now parenting ideas is our our brand, so to speak. So it's parentingideas.com.au um, is where I put out a blog, a blog twice a month. And um, we've also have parenting ideas schools. So a lot of schools will uh, use our materials in newsletters and we run webinars, etc., for schools as well for parents. Uh, so parentingideas.com.au is where you can go as a parent and also if you're in a school or organisation, you can go there as well and, and get more assistance. Amazing. I will pop all of those details in the show notes. And again, thank you so much for your time today. It's been really good fun. Thanks for having me. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 